0: Turn back with me to John chapter 1. Uh, John chapter 1. This morning we'll be looking at verses 19 through verse 34. Verse 19 through verse 34. And the Word of God reads as follows. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Pray with me, Father. Thank you for your word. We thank you that you have made yourself abundantly clear to us. Christ can be known and that through the Son, the Son of our good and gracious God the Father. Thank you that the Spirit illuminates our hearts to receive him. I pray that in this hour, if there's anyone who does not know you in a saving way, that you would open the eyes of their heart to see the glory and the splendor and the beauty and the majesty and the salvation that can come through Christ alone. And those of us who have already committed to following Jesus, would we ever live to make Jesus more known than ourselves? that we would allow Christ to be the priority in everything and that we would be comfortable with being nothing if it means Christ known. Thank you, God, for your truth and your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're familiar with um, the somewhat board game but not really a board game called Guess Who. You remember this game? Raise your hand if you know Guess Who. Okay, perfect. And then the others of you will will play next week. So, Guess Who was one of my favorite games growing up, and a really simple game, a two-player game. And the point of the game was to guess the identity of the other person's character. So each of you, it kind of looked like a battleship board, except less violent um, Each of you had a row, several rows of people, and your objective was to say, I chose a person of this group, and the other person chose a person in their group. And based on different questions that you would ask, you would have to identify who the other person chose. The identity was hidden, but you would ask questions to try to figure out who that person, that character was that they chose. They had really generic names like Jim and Bob and Billy and... Jim, and Esai. So you would, you would try to figure out who they were by asking questions. Does your person wear a hat? Do they have brown hair? Is your person a man? Which back when I was growing up was not a complicated question. It was easy. These were the questions you were asking, trying to figure out, who was it that my friend, this person I'm playing against, who have they chosen Who is it? I'm trying to identify, based on descriptors here, who this might be. And there is a little bit of that to the opening of John's book to us, this great gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John sets out by beginning the board with two different people. But their descriptions seem so alike that many confuse who is who. And you're trying to draw out the identity of these two men, uh, but it's difficult. Both of these men are sent from God. Both of these men are born in very miraculous circumstances. Both involve an angel coming to speak uh, to the woman to have this child to declare unto them, or uh, to the family of this child to declare unto them that this child would be born and is sent to them by God. Both came to bring the good news of God's grace through the repentance of sins. Both came offering to baptize and to cleanse the people. Both were hated by religious leaders of the day. They they were both taking popularity amongst the people for being sent from God. And so Pharisees and Sadducees and those who had any religious clout hated these men in the same vein, both amassed many followers. Both had people, tons of people, that would follow them because of their teaching and their commitment to God. And both would eventually be killed for their service unto God. And so because of that, it's really easy to misconstrue the identity of one for the other. And yet... John, the apostle, the evangelist, the writer of this book, makes it abundantly clear for us who is who. That the two men that we are surveying in these next verses here are one John the Baptist and the other Jesus Christ, and that those two, though alike in many ways, have something that separates them completely. And it's that Jesus is unlike John because Jesus came to save John came with a very particular purpose, but John very quickly, as you see in the opening of this text this morning, has to make it clear, I am not the Christ. Christ is a word that's uh, meant to denote for us this idea of a Messiah, a Savior, one who would uh, deliver his people, and people in John's world are beginning to think, maybe this guy is him. We all know the story of John his mom is actually really old shouldn't be able to have kids and his dad goes in to pray and comes out and can't speak and all of a sudden Elizabeth is pregnant uh, this has got to be from God not only so when he's named his dad writes his name out on a, a board probably a, a sheet of paper of some sort in the ancient near east and declares unto any, everyone after nine months of not being able to speak is finally able to open his mouth and to say his name will be John It's very evident that this guy, this John, this baptizer, he is someone sent to us of God. Not only so, John comes with a particular mission. He's declaring the kingdom of God that's coming. He's saying the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And so people begin to ask, gosh, if he came in this way and he keeps saying the Messiah is coming, maybe that's him. Maybe he's the one we've been waiting for. John, the writer of this book, John the baptizer, and every witness that has ever beheld the beauty of Jesus, declare in unison, I am not the Christ. And whereas the people in this day We're living in some confusion about who this man might be. It becomes abundantly clear that John would have no greater mission in this earth, and he was sent for this very purpose, to make Christ known. His ministry was not about how many people followed him. His ministry wasn't about how much people liked the message or didn't like the message. His ministry wasn't about making sure that people felt comfortable. His ministry wasn't about hoping that people would appreciate and affirm him for being someone sent of God. John's ministry was singular in focus. And that focus was to point to the Lord Jesus. And friends, I know John has a very particular and distinct ministry from all of us. In fact, of this man, Jesus declares these words there is no greater man that has ever lived but John the Baptist. That's high praise, isn't it? That's a lofty standard. And yet, John is the kind of person, the kind of person we'll see in this text, who makes so little of himself because the priority of his life is to make so much of Jesus. And, friends, that's not something that's unique to John the Baptist. That's something that's true of every person that declares allegiance to Jesus as Lord. What we want to learn in this portion of Scripture today is not, not only to see it evidenced for us and declared to us that Jesus is the Son of God, but that where Jesus is understood to be the Son of God, that becomes the priority of every person who beholds that truth everyone who assents to the reality that Jesus is truly the Lord, Jesus is truly the Messiah, Jesus is truly the Savior, when we accept that truth, when we live by that reality, we no longer care for our own popularity. We no longer care for our own notoriety. We no longer care for what people think of us because we care infinitely more about what they think of him. We pivot in our life from living for self to living for Christ, and this is exemplified for us through the ministry and the life of John the Baptist. Here's how I want to break this down for us this morning, now turned afternoon. Uh, we're going to look at this by means of two evidences that Jesus is the Son of God and one declaration. Two evidences and one declaration. We'll begin with this. The first evidence of Jesus being this Son of God is that there is, number one, a clear voice. There is a clear voice. Read with me in verse 19. This is the testimony of John. And when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, didn't deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, then, are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Of note in John's ministry and John's life is that John is perfectly okay with being unknown if all he's known as is a voice. John can't even bear to give himself up by name in this passage. John doesn't even care to express, well, my name is John. You know where I come from. In fact, I think in part he treats it as if though that's understood knowledge. And when he's asked this question, who are you, it seems like such a simple question Which should deserve such a simple answer, but the reason that John seemingly complicates it is that John wants those who are listening, and John wants you who are listening, to understand it's less about who John is, it's more about what John came for. This is his testimony. We see that word testimony several times in the book of John. Over 75 times there's reference either to the testimony or to something that's being testified to. And that's no coincidence. John, his book, this entire book, is geared towards developing a testimony that will provide the evidence leading to John twenty thirty-one, That you would believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and have life in his name. And John, in pointing towards all that, the writer first brings out this first and primary testimony to Jesus, John the Baptist. Jews are sending the priests and the Levites. And in John's gospel, when he talks about the Jews, he's not talking specifically about the entire people group. John seems to describe Jews to be those religious elites. And so when you see that word, you can think of the people who ran the show in Israel, You can think of those people who had religious esteem, who had some kind of power. And those people don't necessarily like John, because John is pulling people away from them. And so they send priests and Levites to go ask him some questions. And that's not coincidental that they would send the priests and the Levites. John has come in with this ministry of baptism. He's come in with this ministry. If we were to look at Mark 1 and Luke 1 and Matthew, all of these would testify that John's ministry is one of baptism. Why? Because he's calling the nation to repentance. John has a ministry of calling the nation of Israel to repentance. Those are priestly duties. That's a Levite duty. The cleansing of God's people has always belonged to the priests and to the Levites. And so now there comes in this wild man, this man who comes out of a wilderness which isn't emphasized in the Gospel of John because John d- doesn't want you to look at the baptizer as, a, as simply as a man. He wants you to look at him as one who points to Jesus. But here these Jews have serious questions because this guy is stepping on their toes. So they want to know exactly who does this guy think he is is. Who does John think he is? Why are you doing what's our responsibility? Why are you doing what we were sent to do? In fact, why are you going above and beyond what we were sent to do? I don't know if you know this, but this ministry of baptism and of repentance of their sins, it's not common for the Jewish people. It was something that Jews did for Gentiles, If you were a Gentile and you wanted to be brought into the fold of God, into the people group of God, one thing you had to do was be baptized. But Jews weren't baptized. But here's John baptizing them. So who is this? What kind of cleansing does he bring? Why would he do these things? Is it that this man might be the Christ? Others ask this question. In Luke 3, the account of John there, 15 to 17, all were questioning, and in their hearts, they were concerned with this John because they were wondering whether he might be the Christ. His ministry seemed to go above and beyond. And so he's stepping on toes, but maybe we need to be careful with him because maybe this is the Messiah. So who are you? And John answers, by confessing. And I love, how, I love how the writer John puts this, that John the Baptist confesses, he doesn't deny, but he confesses, I am not the Christ. It's as if to say, the Baptist becomes so exasperated by the question that he denies it vehemently. He, he, can't, he can't help but to put it in the most negative sense, I am not the Christ. That's not who I am. Don't ask me that anymore. I'm not the Christ. And so they recognize, okay, then if he's not the Messiah, maybe he's someone that's sent from God to usher in what the Messiah will do. And so they go to the next thing possible, the next greatest thing to Messiah they can think of. What then? Are you Elijah? And they were awaiting one like Elijah. So it's not a surprise that they ask a question like this. If you turn to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, there is a prophecy that before the Messiah comes, Elijah would return and Elijah would minister and Elijah would bring people to the Messiah. And so, as John steps into the scene with such an emphasis on his ministry of the Messiah coming, maybe they go, he's not the Messiah, but he is Elijah, isn't he? This must be him. What's John's response? Nope, I'm not. I'm not Elijah. And so then they keep going down the line of their scriptures and asking this question, who can this guy be? Obviously, God has sent him. It's been a long time since God has spoken to us. It probably helps you to understand that when John the Baptist ushers himself into history, really, God ushers him into history, there's been no one speaking for God for 400 years to these people. So it's not surprising that they ask if he's the Messiah. It's not surprising that they ask if he's Elijah. And it's not surprising that they ask here, Are you the prophet? Pointing back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verses 15 to 18, where there is said to have been one like Moses who would come and deliver God's people. Is this him? Is this the long-awaited one? God has been so silent, and now there's John. Certainly, he must be the one we're waiting for. Answer. No. It's interesting to think if John is is growing weary with the questions or if he's really just a humble man and I I tend to side with the latter. I think John, instead of just saying, I'm John, he decides to get at the heart of the issue. In order to understand me, you must understand the one that comes after me. I think that's what John is aiming at here. And it doesn't suffice these leaders who come and ask him these questions. That's why they say, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And now he clues us in on exactly who he is. They've been using scripture to try to figure out who this John is. They've been dipping back into God's promises and dipping back into God's revelation of himself to to try to figure out who this guy is. And wonderfully so, John now pinpoints exactly to where they can find him in their own Bible. He says, verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah says. That can be found in Isaiah chapter 40, which is a turning point in the, uh, turning point in the prophecy of Isaiah It begins to usher in and give hope of a new kingdom and a new Messiah. It begins to point to the the fact that God will not leave his people destitute or lonely or destroyed, but God will rescue them. And in order for that to happen, there will be this voice that comes crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. This is who John is. This idea of making straight this path, it's what you would do when a king came and there was a processional in the king's honor. You wouldn't have the king just go up and down mountains and through hills. You would actually level out the ground so that the path the king would go on would be straight. And you remember it from Aladdin, right? You know, make way, Prince Ali. You remember what that was like. And so everyone gets out the way because Prince Ali, who's really Aladdin, who you know how it goes. He's coming through. And so when that happens, everything else needs to be brought out the way. Every rock needs to be moved. Every path needs to be made straight. That's what John came to do for Jesus, to straighten the pathway by which the Savior would walk. By what means does he do that? He does that by declaring repentance of sins, which again is not what was common for these Jewish people. They wouldn't have thought that. They understood that they were already God's covenant people. Now comes John and says, You need repentance too? You need cleansing too? Absolutely. For this is what Jesus came for Jesus came to save sinners. And all who have fallen woefully short of God's glory need that kind of salvation. And the surest and the straightest pathway to seeing Jesus the way that he is, is to see your sin for what it is. Sin has not only defiled you, but sin has cast a clear verdict upon your life that you ought to be judged by God. And so John ushers into the history of mankind to make the path straight. Here comes the Savior. And so prepare your heart by understanding your sin. Friends, this is the pathway every believer takes into heaven. That as we behold the Savior that has come, we see our sin as it is. Not just mistakes. Not just an oops. Not just something that, you know, it, it, maybe it hurts God a little bit, but he'll be all right. Sin leads to death. And death leads to destruction. And John and Jesus alike come to demonstrate unto us the severity of that sin and the need we have for a Savior. This is John's mission. And John doesn't want you to know him by name. He wants you to know him by what he declared. That's good news for us too. Friends, as you go to tell others the good news about Jesus, don't worry about what they think of you. Give them the message. Don't worry how much they might like you or dislike you, if they appreciate you or don't appreciate you. The concern is not you. It doesn't matter, even as I preach what you think about Esai. That's irrelevant. As we talk about Jesus, the primary thing in this room is what you think of him. it's, It's if you see his beauty and his glory and his majesty, the saving one. Forget me, forget you, come to terms with Christ. That's John's ministry, and that should be our ministry. Friends, let's not get in the way of what God is doing by trying to make a name for ourselves. John was so unlike that. John could care less about his name. He could care less about his popularity. His greatest concern in his life was being the voice that would make Christ known. Friends, if you're a Christian in this room, that's your obligation too. There should be much less of you and so much more of Jesus. And we don't know what the fruit of that will be, and neither did John. John didn't know who would show up at at the Jordan to get baptized. But John knew that his obligation was to tell others to come and be cleansed. Friends, so it is for us. Will your friend be saved? I don't know. Will your family member that you've been talking to about Jesus be saved? I don't know. Will that teammate that you've been going through the entire season with, Trying to invite them to 180, invite them to Bible study, tell them about Christ. Will they be saved? I don't know. God does. And God has not called you to know if they'll be saved. God has called you to be a faithful voice in their life. Be like John, who's less about John and more about Christ. That's the calling we have, is to be like John and having a clear voice. A clear voice that evidences that Jesus truly is the Son of God. Look at these following verses here. They evidence that for us so clearly. The Pharisees had been sending these folks and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet? And John answers them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Do you see the beauty of John's ministry? John has such a little appreciation for himself, and he has so much more appreciation for what God has called him to. I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, and I don't care to be. I came baptizing with water because that's what I've been sent to do. But what matters is that there's one who's coming who I'm not worthy of untying his shoes. That's how low John thought of himself because John thought of himself as a voice. Friends, I pray that you and I would be the clear voice that declares the beauty and the glory of God's gospel to a dying world. But let's give you a second evidence here. A second evidence of God as the Son through John the Baptist's ministry. That second evidence is a clear vision. A clear vision. Look with me at verse 29. After declaring he's not the Christ and saying that there would be one who comes after him, who who is the next day, the very next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said... That's key because this is what John is all about. Speaking, declaring, proclaiming. And what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. A clear vision. The next day when John looks upon the face of Jesus, he recognizes exactly who he's beholding. And he declares it unto everyone as faithfully as he possibly can. To see Jesus is to see what? It's to see the Lamb of God, which would make everyone scratch their head. That's definitely not a sheep, John. You've had one too many locusts You've been sitting baking in the wilderness for far too long. It's evident that you're dehydrated. We'll get you an IV. You might not know what that is, neither do we, but it's supposed to be something that in 2,000 years will give people water through their veins. You might need that because you obviously don't know that that's a person. Or you can read the Old Testament. And you can understand that when John declares that this is the Lamb of God, that you understand this is John declaring that this man would be a sacrifice for his people. That when John declares this is the Lamb of God, he answers Isaac's question in Genesis twenty-two eight. That when Isaac looks around, when dad takes him up on this really fun mountain trip and says, don't worry, we're going to go make a sacrifice. And Isaac looks around and goes, behold, I can see fire. I see, I see wood. Uh, I just don't see a lamb. That's the only thing we seem to be missing here. Where's the lamb? Isaac's question is answered for us here that there would never be a substitute of some animal kingdom that would be able to pay in full the penalty for our sins. Isaac couldn't find the lamb because he didn't come yet, but now he's here. And so behold, the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Israel had experienced and seen this time and time again and being delivered out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 12 verse 3. A reference that I got from a very noted theologian in this room, Matt Palladian. He pointed me to that text, which is a reminder to us of the Passover, where every year thereafter, Israel was to paint their doors in the blood of lambs to remind them of God's deliverance of them from slavery. And not only so, but throughout Leviticus, there is the sacrificing of lamb for atonement for sins, for the purifying of one's hearts over and over and over and over again. And yet as you continue to read your Bible, you get to a book like Isaiah, where there is one who declares, make the path straight. And where that path is made straight, you then turn to Isaiah 53. And you see that the one who is to come in light of that path is a bloodied man. One who would be like a lamb to the slaughter. That the Savior that John is talking about is a Savior that must die. This had to be so contrary to everything these people were hoping for. Israel was looking for a king. Israel was looking for someone who would reign and rule. Israel was looking for someone who was strong. Israel was looking for someone that when he stood up and he said, "I, I run the show here, everyone else would cower and run away. And now steps in John. Saying, don't look to me, look to the one who comes after me. And who is he? He's the Lamb of God. Who came to take away the sin of the world. What a different picture of a Savior than any of us could have imagined. But friends, if you come to terms with the Jesus that John declares, it must be the Lamb of God. If you don't think that your sins need atonement, you are all wrong. You'll find that out sooner or later. Or you could turn to Jesus today. You can recognize that God has given his son not simply to reign, but to reign by means of giving his life by means of becoming sin, the one who knew no sin on your behalf so that when God looks upon you, he would declare you righteous. You could be like John in the world too. And instead of making life about you, you could be one who consistently and incessantly declares, behold the Lamb of God. If my life lives by any slogan, let it be this one. Behold the Lamb of God. If I'm going to follow any motto or mantra, if I'm going to walk down any pathway and make my life some kind of mission statement, let it be this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is who John came to declare. John's voice was to be used it was to be spent. If he were to lose his voice at all, it was to be in declaring that Jesus is that Lamb. And we know it to be true. Later in your New Testament, you read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. Hebrews, chapter 9, beginning in verse 12. Here, the author of Hebrews declares. Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Uh, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of his own creation. He entered, verse 12, once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Look at verse 13, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Friends, in summary, what John is declaring is that to behold the Lamb of God is to recognize that you must be made new, the sacrifices that have been paid time and time again could never do for us what Jesus will do, and John declares that by means of making his ministry even more clear, I myself didn't i didn't know john one thirty one this purpose I came to baptize with water to reveal him. And John bore witness, verse 32, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, not an actual bird, but like a bird, and it remained on Him. I myself did not know Him, but He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in coming as the Lamb of God, came to cleanse us of sins. Yes. Came to forgive us. Yes. Came to save us. Yes. And this by means of a cleansing that no animal and no sacrifice in the history of mankind could ever grant us. And it's why we read these words in Titus chapter 2. Sorry, chapter 3. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. John baptized in water to show the people they were sinful. Jesus baptizes by his blood so that you might know he's the savior. John came to point to the reality that we need to be made new. Jesus came to make us new. This is the clear vision that John saw. That Jesus is the Lamb of God. And so these are the two evidences. There is a clear voice that testifies to him being the Son of God. There is a clear vision that he is the Son of God. Come to take the sin of the world. And it leads us to this conclusion. A clear verdict. Verse 34. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Friends, to come face to face with Jesus by means of faith, to see him as he truly is, to behold his glory, to recognize that he truly is the eternal word that was with God and was God, but was sent by God to take on flesh, a flesh that could take nails that would pierce his hands, a crown that would, that would wound his head and that would take a, a thorn that would go through his side and that would breathe a final breath on your behalf. That kind of eternal word became flesh to save us. And it points all of us to this conclusion, John's conclusion. This truly must be the son of God. Friends, as we continue in the book of John to behold him, you will be left without question in knowing this is who Jesus is. If you haven't known him before, know that your sins don't need to dominate, don't need to reign over you. God has sent his son to cleanse you and to save you. And if you know him in a saving way, know that your mission in life is far less about you making a name for yourself, but you declaring to the ends of the earth that Jesus, the word made flesh, truly is the son of God. God. All who see Jesus rightly come to this grand and true conclusion. That is who he is. Pray with me. Father, how we thank you for your word and we thank you for the re- revelation of yourself. Thank you that Jesus is exactly who he has said he is. Thank you that John came to make him known and thank you that now. All of us here who have loved Christ because of His love first for us have the same mission as John, to declare unto the world that Jesus is the Son of God, to behold the one Lamb who could take away the sin of the world. And so we neither fear the appreciation or affirmation of others, We fear not what man might do to us for the sake of Christ, but because you have given us this mission, we are emboldened, empowered, and encouraged to go out with the truth of the gospel and declare it and allow it to do its work in the hearts of people. May we never get in the way of what God is doing, but would we allow God by means of using us to do his work as you see fit. Thank you, God, for your grace toward us. Enable us to be faithful in our task. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.